Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Adi. This week, we continue our series over the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Ah, very good. All right, well, we're, we're continuing uh, our conversation through John chapter 6 and 7. Uh, again, as Jesus is, is continuing this this dialogue, I don't know how much of a dialogue it is, it's mostly a monologue on his part, but, but what he's doing, it, we're reminded, where is he at when he's, when he's talking about all this? Do you remember where he is? What city he's in? It goes back, this, we, we learned this way before Christmas, so I'm sure there's no way, there's no way anybody remembers. So he's in Capernaum, remember Capernaum, and Capernaum is on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Well, how did he get there? Maybe we can remember that now. How did he get there? Remember, he had fed the 5,000, and then they wanted to make him king, and so then he sent his disciples on ahead while he took care of the, and then he went off to the mountain by himself to pray. So that all happened. And then the disciples, see, they're going across the top of the, or the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. And it was kind of windy and this little bit of a storm. And, and then Jesus comes to him. How does he get to him? Yeah, can see, now we remember the story. So then, so then when he gets in the boat, Voila, they had arrived. So, you know, he didn't have to sail very far with them. And so then they arrived at Capernaum. So all of this uh, conversation, all this dialogue is going on in Capernaum. Okay? And that's, that's pertinent to the story as you're going to see. Okay, so we pick it up in verse 47. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no one may, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, him, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him." So some pertinent themes that continue to weave their way through these sayings of Jesus. So the first one is the reference to manna and the bread of life or the bread from heaven. Okay? And we remember that one of the teachings that the rabbis taught the, uh, the people uh, over the centuries was that how they would know the sign that they could look at that would tell them when the true Messiah had come was that there would be some heavenly bread or some bread from heaven would be provided for the people. And so, you know, you can sort of get the sense that as the rabbis taught that, the people then would be looking for some kind of manna-like substance that would be provided to them in a way that would go way beyond the earthly sort of food. I mean, you can just sort of, can you sort of see that? That, that? That's probably what people were thinking. 
And then Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the heavenly bread. I'm the bread from heaven. And when you have faith in me and you trust in me, that is the same as eating that bread or drinking that blood. That's the same, he says. And so that you can see where there would be this real confusion. There would be like this, this real consternation where people would say, and perhaps even the rabbis would say, are you telling me that all these years we've been teaching people the wrong thing? How hard is it to let go of something that your great-grandparents taught you and your grandparents taught you and your parents taught you and now you're faced with it? How easy is, is it to let go of those things? It isn't easy. And so to some degree, we can, we can kind of maybe relate in some way to the, to the struggle that they're having, uh, even the ones who had faith in Jesus, where they, they believe in him and they trust in him, but at the same time, he's like talking circles around, around their head. So that's one of the themes, the theme of the relationship to the heavenly bread, as well as to the manna. And so the point he's making is that as important as manna was in the Old Testament, people ate of it and then what? They die. I mean, it was a physical food. Yes, it came from heaven, it came from God, but it did not provide a, a sense of eternity for them. But now what Jesus does is he plays on the words die and live to talk about it in terms of not just a temporal or physical uh, life or death, but now he's also talking about it in terms of a spiritual life and eternal life. And that's what he's talking about there in verse 50. This is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Well, clearly he's not talking about physical or temporal death because we may all die unless, of course, our Lord comes again before that happens. But in terms of spiritual death or eternal death, hanging on to your faith in Jesus, i.e. eating of that bread, is, uh, is what guarantees eternal life. Okay, you with me so far? Okay, we're just kind of tracking through that. All right, so then the Jews, they're kind of arguing with each other, and they're saying, oh, what is he talking about? What's he talking about? And then they kind of go to the same place that Jesus' disciples went, and even if you remember back Oh, it was several years ago when we studied John 3, okay? Remember the, the, uh, the, the uh, ruler of the Sanhedrin, the, one of the members of the Sanhedrin came to Jesus at night and he was pondering over Jesus' words as well. What was his name? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, yeah. And so to Nicodemus, Jesus was talking about this idea of being born again. And Nicodemus is going, God, I don't know what you're talking about. How in the world can somebody be born again? So you, there's all kinds of stories here where Jesus is talking at a, a high level of spirituality, is he not? And certainly theology. And the humans that are all around him are going, we don't know what you're talking about. Now, what's interesting about this is is that after Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost came, how smart everybody in the room became. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So what is it that happened that was unique in the lives of the disciples that had not happened up to this point? The Holy, uh, Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, Jesus had promised that, that the Holy Spirit will bring all understanding to you. 
And that kind of, in some sense, is, is what they would have needed because if all they had had was their own uh, intellect or their own uh, uh, schooling or whatever it was, whatever level of education they had, they would be able to quote Jesus. But if somebody had asked them, well, what did he mean when he said that? Then they would have been uh, uh, sort of crippled in that sense. It would have been, wouldn't have been very difficult for them to answer those questions. All right. So where in the scriptures can we find some verification, if you will, or some support for this idea that uh, when Jesus talks about the idea that when you have faith in him, you might die physically or temporally, but eternal life is still yours. Well, look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, for example. I have it uh, listed there for you, uh, verses 54 to 57. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who what? Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, see, it, it, the, the, beauty, the beautiful aspect of faith in Jesus is that even if you die, you don't die. Even if you die, and when some have and some will, and, and that sort of thing in faith, but because in faith we have latched on to Jesus and trust in what he's done for us, then eternal life is the, gets the last word as opposed to eternal death. All right, now what do you make of this part in here now then from 53 on where he talks about this idea of eating the flesh of the Son of Man and drinking his blood? What do you make of that? I'm just going to sip my coffee while you ponder that. <laughs> what does it sound like to you? Sounds like communion, doesn't it? Talking about communion, it's it is kind of interesting, and and I, I sort of raise the question because we're part of Missouri Synod, and so we're like conservative biblical Christians. All right, it's very interesting that there's a debate going on in theological circles within Missouri Synod as to whether or not he's referencing communion or not, and the reason why the debate is there, even though it. If you just take it like on face value, it sounds pretty much like communion. And, and some of the older commentators that are older than me, so I use them as, uh, as references because they're in heaven now and nobody can talk to them and dispute what, what it is they said. But they actually apply the, uh, our understanding of Holy Communion, uh, they apply these verses to our understanding of Holy Communion. Now the reason why there's a debate is because in the context... Jesus isn't talking about communion. He's not, he's not laying out for the, for the people there. He's not laying out, here's what we believe and teach about Holy Communion. So there's some question about whether the context should rule this, or is Jesus simply talking about the idea that by eat, uh, the idea of eating his, his flesh and drinking his blood, that that's a metaphor for what? Believing in him, right? is trusting in him as the heavenly bread or as the heavenly, uh, heavenly blood. So what do you think about that? Does it bother you that there might be some debate in, uh, in church circles about the interpretation of different verses? 
No, because nobody agrees about anything anyway, right? Yeah, okay. So again, it, it's still, it, one, one argument that you could make with, with respect to Holy Communion is that way back earlier, uh, uh, several lessons ago, but it's still in the context, um, where this is taking place uh, near and around Passover. So Passover itself would have been a context in which uh, some conversation about the Lord's Supper could have taken place because we knew. But, but again, uh, uh, that's just, it's up for debate. Let me put it that way. Okay? Thoughts about that? Yeah, Carl? Uh, so what comes to mind for me is that Jesus is always saying that we need a relationship. And, and He needs to be a part of us. And, and by taking His, believing enough to take Him, body and soul and, and blood, yeah. To ourselves, and because he says we're we're his temple, right? Uh, you know, it, it, we need to make that a personal relationship, and that's what I kind of relate to. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that the, the people say, "You want us to eat?" I know. He's yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I mean, for for those of us that are uh, sacramental, and we would say like Catholic and Lutheran, and maybe Episcopalian, and some others that sort of roll in that those circles. Um, oftentimes there is an accusation made. Well, you're talking about cannibalism. And we would say no, because at least from our perspective, it would be no, because the, the bread and the wine are still there. It's not like they disappear. It's still bread and wine. But in, with, and under the bread and the wine are the body and blood. So it, it, doesn't, go that, it doesn't go quite far. It doesn't say, well, it changes into the body and blood. So that would be maybe a difference... Uh, for, to a way to answer that, okay? Yeah, Kathy. Well, this is before Holy Thursday. This is before yeah. the Holy Spirit comes on me. I would think, if I was there, I would be very confused as, what are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. I don't understand yeah. this at all. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of people that still feel that way. Yeah. It, I mean, is everything in the Bible easy to understand? Hello? I mean, there's people that have advanced degrees upon advanced degrees, and there still are, especially in Missouri Senate, we seem to attract that, um, is that there's this, not that it's argumentative, it's just there's a lot of debate, there's a lot of conversation that goes on. Now, the good news is that there's a lot of conversation that goes on. I mean, actually, that's really actually pretty good because it means that people are thinking deeply about it. They're not just saying, okay, pad answer, pad answer, pad answer. And that, I'm, I'm gratified for that. I'm also gratified that they're doing it, and I'm not. I just have to read it. But actually, that's a good thing. You know, these are people that devote their lives to that, and, and we would say that's a wonderful thing. But again, the rabbis in Jesus' day were people that also devoted their lives to it. And so as we've talked about at different times, the, the bias that you bring to something can affect the way that you interpret something. And so it's always a good idea to check your biases. It's always a good idea to check the lenses through which you do the interpreting and make sure your lenses are clean, right? Make sure that your lenses are, are accurate, okay? And again, from a Lutheran perspective, especially a, a biblically conservative Lutheran perspective, I always have to say that because there's different perspectives, is that our, that our lens is law and gospel, that, and that's in the Scripture. So... So we don't have to worry so much about whether there's an outside 
sort of influence then that's being imposed on the Scripture as opposed to the lens being of Scripture. And then that's how we use, that's the, uh, the uh, hermeneutic that we use to uh, interpret. Okay? Other thoughts? Yes? So uh, it makes me think of, you know, like at the beginning of the same chapter, it's talking about the physical feeding of the 5,000. Yes. And it makes me think of the woman at the well, you know, he, he switched her from the physical water to the living water. Yes. So, you know, I can think along the same way. I know. See, it, you, you sort of get the sense that, that he, start, he takes people where they are, which is in the temporal and the physical. And then he says, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to elevate your thinking and, and elevate the, the conversation to shift it from purely talking about everyday stuff to stuff that is like way up here. And uh, um, I think sometimes we go, oh, I wish he would keep it down here so I could get it. But at the same time, to aspire, I think, to, to that higher understanding is really a wonderful thing. You know? That, that um, not all the time is it just meat and potatoes. Sometimes it's a lobster roll, you know? I mean, I watched the Food Channel last night, so that's still on my mind. <laughs> but it just, you know, it, it, you, you elevate. And part of growth and part of, of maturing in the faith and part of, of, uh, of growing in your faith is to, is to reach beyond where you are. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus is constantly doing. The other part of it is, is he's preparing them for what? When he's not going to be there, right? He, he knows he's, he's got three years, a three-year window, right, to get people where they are, okay? The other part of it is, who is he talking to? Because he's in Capernaum, is he only talking to the 12? No, he's got the Jews are around, he's got believers, unbelievers, he's got people that have attached themselves to him on the basis of or in the aftermath of the feeding of the 5,000. See, there still were people that said, you're our guy, you're our guy. We will attach ourselves to you. And to some degree, we're going to see that a little bit uh, in, in, a, in a couple moments. We're going to see what happens when people are confronted by somebody who isn't teaching exactly the way they want him to. Okay, so let's keep, uh, let's keep going. So have we pretty well uh, run this one into the ground? All right, very good. All right, so now we get to verse uh, 57. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. So he's kind of repeating the same theme here. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught where? See, so, so where he's doing this is attracting uh, quite a group. And it's a mixed group. It's people that were following him simply because he did the miracle. It's people that were educated and learned. It's people that would have had a purely Jewish uh, sort of Israeli background, Hebrew background. There were also people that would have had a bit of a Roman background given the fact that they're in Capernaum. All right? So again, that this just sort of reiterates what we've said earlier. Now we get to the next verse. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
All right, there's the most understated verse in the whole Bible right there. You know, I think if you wanted to learn a verse and then have it, you know, in the back of your mind to quote it whenever you wanted to, this would be a good verse to do that. Yeah, that and Jesus wept. That would be the other one. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Okay, where have we seen people grumbling before about something Jesus said or did? Where have we seen that before? Can you think of any stories in the Bible where humans were grumbling about something that God was doing or maybe that he wasn't doing and they thought he should? Yeah. When he healed the uh, guy on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he, he did a good thing, but he did do it on the wrong day. And so then people grumbled about that. Okay, what else comes to mind? Yeah. His followers were eating, grabbing food on their way to grain as they were walking through the field. Oh, yeah. That's That's right. The Sabbath police, they were watching that day, right? And so there was grumbling going on, all right? Anything else come to mind in terms of grumbling? Yeah, Mary Jo. Children of Israel against God, grumbling against God. Yeah, you know, those were pretty serious grumblings in those days like that. Do you remember kind of how God handled those situations when people would grumble in the Old Testament? (laughs) The earth would open up and people would fall in and die, you know, sort of like Lord of the Rings movies. It would be just like that, okay? Yeah. Um, When uh, Jesus drove the 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 legion out of that Oh, yeah. It, it caused economic demise in the, in the uh, uh, pork industry that day. Uh, yeah, because all what happened to all the pigs, what did they do when they had the demons in them? Yeah. So what happened was a supply and demand, the price of pork went up that day. So actually it was a benefit to whoever's pigs weren't affected. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Okay, so grumbling is kind of seen in the Bible at least the stories that we've talked about, as a mix of confusion, a little bit of taking offense, that sort of thing. Not to make too big a deal about it, all right? But notice here, there is a difference between the people that grumbled who had faith and the people who grumbled who did not have faith. And that seems to be where that line is uh, in terms of the Scripture is that uh, sometimes God asks of us things that we don't like. Have you figured that out? He yes. does. But we still have faith in Him. We still trust in Him. It's, it's a little bit of having faith and trusting through gritted teeth, right like this, right? But we still believe in Him. We still hold fast to Him, even if we don't understand or necessarily like. You sort of get the sense here that it's a little bit not so much that. But it's more of the idea that they were starting to get offended 
by the fact that Jesus is taking them down a path that they do not want to go. So what he does is, in verse 62, is he says, well, okay, if you think this is hard, what would you do if right this moment I ascended into heaven? Now, sometimes Jesus likes to poke the bear. Have you noticed this? And you see it, it, there's different moments, you know, when, when it just would have been just great if, Lord, if you had just not said the next thing. <laughs> and maybe there are some of us here today that can relate to that, where you think, you know, I, there's that little voice that says, you know, I think it would just be good if I just did this. <laughs> and then the other little voice says, no, 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 I think they need to hear that one more thing that you should say that will really drive that point home and will convince them that they should listen to you. And then, of course, what happens? You get crucified. That's what happens. Yes. Yeah, Philip. This passage is almost kind of like uh, Jesus is disciplining a child because how, how many of, of y'all with, with children? Y'all? Well, oh, here well, we go. You know what? We'll just go home. What if, what if I do that? You know, Jesus is saying, you know, hey, you know what? What will you do if, we ju- if I just go back up into heaven? Yeah, see, what, see how you like it then, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Philip, that was a nice little uh, application that you just uh, came up with there. All right. So we all kind of laugh a little bit about that, but that's, that's, that's kind of, again, kind of what he's, what he's uh, trying to do. So then he says, he goes now into some further explanation, it's the spirit who gives life, and how helpful is the flesh? (laughs) See, that should sort of put us in our place as well. Sometimes we think that our own effort and our own contribution, based on how good we are, can be life-giving spiritually. And again, once again, Jesus puts us that, that thought in its place, and he says, no, the flesh is no, is no help at all. Now, why would that be? Why is it that no matter how good a person you are or how well behaved you are or how civically minded you are, why is it that that is of no help in terms of your standing with God? Well, we're born in sin. Okay, so keep talking. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, you're... You just say you're not, uh, you're, you're doomed. <laughs> we're doomed, okay, all right. You're, yes, we're struggling with this a little bit. Did, uh, Ann, did you have your hand up on that? Pardon? We need a savior. Why? Because of the sin. Yeah, so if you think of the sin as, let's see, what would be an analogy of this? Well, here's one I'm thinking of, and then we'll just shoot it into the ground. Have you ever bought a dozen eggs and discovered one of them was cracked. Have you? Like, what do you do in that situation, by the way? Do you take the egg back, or what do you do? You know, the, the, uh, we try to cover all bases in this class. We, you know, we try to have, I must have food on my mind. It must, that must be what it is. All right. Okay, so can a cracked egg heal itself? Why not? It's dead. Okay, if it was alive, could it heal itself? Why not? Because everything it does, it's still cracked. 
Okay, I knew, I, I told you this wasn't a very good example. Okay, I, I gave you that, that analogy. But, but the point is what? Everything you try to do is what? It's still stained by sin. It's still stained. Even if you could like take white out and cover up the crack to make it look like it wasn't cracked or maybe some putty or some bondo like they do on cars, you could do that, scrape it, scrape it, scrape it. It's still what? Cracked. That's the point. You and I are cracked. However, it can still be used for cooking. Okay. We're taking a shift now. However, it can still be used for cooking. Okay. Yes. Change your story. Go back. Yes. Well, now you've sort of befuddled me. I'm going to be thinking about what. uh, But. You don't want to cook it too, wait too long before you cook it. Ah, oh, there we go. I got you on that one. Good. Perfect. <laughs> go. Okay. Yeah, Richard. The other thing is a carton of eggs is useless until you crack them. <laughs> a carton of eggs is useless until you crack them. So what does that say about how God can use cracked eggs? See, this, I'm losing this. This, this. You know what this is like? This is like doing a big children's sermon right here. That's exactly what this is like. And the further we go down, the worse it's getting. And I'm thinking, how do we bring this back to what we were originally talking about? Okay, yeah, Keith. Oh, thank you. Another example would be the actual creation of man. Pardon? The creation of man itself. The creation of man himself. Okay. He was created out of the dust of the earth. Yeah, dirt. He was still dirt. 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 Yeah, dirt. The flesh. Yeah. Until God breathed in him the spirit. Right. So there's the spirit of God. Oh yeah, that's a good example. Otherwise, the flesh is still dirt. Yeah, and he could not make himself alive. Yeah, and we would, we would understand that from a physical, temporal perspective. For some reason, it escapes us when we're talking about spiritual life because people continually want to say, but the goodness, that, the good of my life, the good things I do, that ought to count for something. Well, it does temporally. It does in, in the society that you live. The neighbor that you uh, live next to appreciates the good things you do. But see, God has a higher standard. It's called perfection. And that's why Jesus had to come and live a perfect life. See, that's the beauty of it. He lives a perfect life we can't live. And then he is the sacrifice for our sins. And then God raises him up on the third day. And then that becomes God's way of saying he did it. And it was enough. So trust in him. Because he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Yeah. Oh, more to the egg thing? So I thought we left that behind, but go ahead, scramble us up, would you? I was just going to say, even if you're hard-boiled, God needs to crack that shell and peel it off to get to the good stuff. Hmm, if you're hard-boiled, yeah, there we go. So crack the shell and peel it off. Yes. Well, that's true, yeah. Okay, we'll just ponder this for some time. Where, how did we go wrong on this? I, it was a really, it was a good idea. It was a wonderful moment there. And then it went south. Yeah, Kathy. Okay, I think this all points to 
how important Bible study is. Okay. <laughs> you can't just sit and read the Bible by yourself. You need to be talking among each other like the disciples would do. Mm -hmm. And somebody can say something that all of a sudden will give you a flash. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But you're not going to get those flashes if you're just sitting by yourself, not understanding what you're reading at all. Because if you by yourself come up with the analogy of the cracked egg, you know, <laughs> there's no way. What do you, I mean, you'll think you're, you're brilliant, and then you present it in front of a class, and <laughs> then you really get it handed to you. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So we're back to, oh, did you guys have anything to say about this? Well, we decided not to raise it. <laughs> <laughs> it had to do with hard world and devil eggs. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Deviled eggs. Oh, I love deviled eggs. Oh, that's my favorite deviled eggs. I love that. That's right. That's Romans eight twenty eight, where God works all things together for the good of. Yeah, He turns it into devils. Devils egg. Okay. All right. So okay. So I'm going to try to weave us back to verse sixty five then where he says, this is why I told you that nobody can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. Okay? So, why do people seek a God? Do they? Because we have a soul. Pardon? Because we have a soul. We have a soul. So maybe there's a part of us that yearns for that connection, even though... Um, a lot of people in their yearning determine that it's not worth it. Okay? So I, I put some thoughts down here in terms of the motivations that, Jesus, that people had in Jesus' day for seeking him. Let's see if they relate to us um, in terms of our modern day uh, life. They saw a miraculous sign and they wanted more of it. That's probably uh, true for today. They saw his potential and theirs for greatness. Kind of, you know, maybe grab onto his coattails and kind of, uh, kind of go with the flow. How about they sought relief from their difficult lives? Could that be? Yeah. They liked the way Jesus mixed it up with the religious elite. How about that one? Yeah. Hey, let's do that. Um, they were among the deplorables of society and they felt welcomed and loved by him. How about that? You think that's true today? Are you agreeing or are you raising your hand? Well, you know, the use of the word deplorable now has taken on that, taken on that, uh, that tenor in terms of what somebody said about who votes for whom. But in, in many societies, um, there are the deplorables, there are the pariahs, there are the untouchables, okay? And in, in many societies, and supported by their religions, there's a, there's a hierarchy, there's the people at the top and the people at the bottom, and they don't mix. Okay, so that's kind of what's meant by that. They were tired of meaningless lives, and they wanted a group to belong to. Now, can you think of any other motivations as to why, Jesus, why people would have sought Jesus or, or perhaps were attracted to him? Can you think of any others? Seeking eternal life, like their life is so bad here on earth, mm -hmm. and they want... Yeah, like sort of the, uh, I mean, for some people, 
today, I think that's a little bit of the motivation behind suicide. It's kind of the idea that things here are so terrible, it'd just be a whole lot better if I just go wherever I'm going to go. Because anything's better than this. Okay? Kind of that idea. Okay? Any other? Yeah, Max? I think the people saw he was pure love. I mean, I think if we met him, you would just feel, you just want to hug him. Oh, yeah, that's probably right. So being, and you know, in some sense of it, that had to be a little bit of a difficulty because there were times in that pure love when he was kind of doing tough love, you know, and just kind of like, oh, I thought you really liked me, you know, or I thought, it, and so there would be some of that. So what do all of these have in common? What do they all have in common? There's a little bit of escape there, right, that, you know, that it's better with him than it is without him, that kind of thing. Okay, what else? I'm thinking maybe of something a little bit more sinister. They all kind of have a little bit of a tint of what he can do for me. You notice that? There's a little, and not that I'm, I don't want to come off sounding like that that's always a bad thing. Because we're glad of what Jesus does for us. But if that's the only motivation, then what happens when you start to feel like he isn't doing it for you? Right? To some degree, it's kind of the same phenomenon that goes on when people seek a church is that the first thought that they have is, what can the church do for me? What can the church do for my kids? What can the church do for my job? What can the church do for my networking? What can the church do? And, and yes, that's human to think that way, but what happens if the church or God or Jesus fall short? What happens if it doesn't deliver? Or it doesn't fulfill it in the way that I think it should, then that part of that phenomenon is to do what? Yeah, it's to go look for something that will. Okay, and again, I get it. There's, everybody has needs, and there's way to, ways to do that. But again, if that's the only thing motivating you, you're going to be searching a long time, right? And I don't know if you're ever going to necessarily reach what you think you're looking for. And so that's part of what's happening here with, with, with Jesus and the people that are hearing him, is it's starting to occur to them that if they attach themselves to him, which would have a tendency to be motivated from a selfish perspective, or at least from the perspective of what can he do for me, I don't know if I want entirely everything that goes with that. Especially if the road gets tough. Especially if my expectations aren't met. Especially if I don't wake up to having bread and fish every single day like happened at the feeding of the 5,000. Can I trust in Jesus and is that enough? Or is it that I have to trust in Jesus and have all the benefits and the perks that go with it and what happens if I don't have all the benefits and the perks at least as far as I can tell? Am I going to ditch him in favor of another savior in the favor of another Lord. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, Jackie. How can it be any other way? How could a human not look to God for what God would do for them? I don't see how there'd be any other motivation. Are you saying there is? How would a human say, 
uh, I want you God because I want to help other people. I think it's I want you God for how you can help me and then once you're in a relationship with him he directs you to help other people. I just don't see humans being all that altruistic on their own. On our own we're not. But when we embrace him in faith then our motivations change. Okay? Well what's that original motivation to look for God? Yeah, I think the original motivation is, is all these things, as it was with every single person that encountered Jesus, including his own disciples, right? But in the course of their time with him, or our time with him, what changes? We do. And when we change, our motivations change. So the beauty of it is that regardless of the original motivation that you have, Jesus says, I accept you where you are. And now I'm going to take you to a whole different planet. And that's part of what transformation is. It's also what maturity is. I mean, when we come into the world, we're pretty dependent, right? I mean, you could draw the same analogy. You come into the world, you're very dependent on your parents or whoever it is that's feeding you. Right? And then it's all about you. How long does that last? Who said forever? That is not true. <laughs> so the parenting people all say from uh, ages zero to two, the job of the parent is to treat the kid like a god. And then from two on is to treat him like they aren't. Right? That's, that's what they say. And to some degree... If the baby cries, what are you going to do? You're going to go to it. So what did the baby just learn? <laughs> what did the baby just teach you? All right, that's a, you know, it's like a dog. It's like a pet. Same thing. Okay, it's the same thing. The, the dependency is there, correct? See, now we're moving from cracked eggs. We're going to get off of this real fast here because I can see that this is going to go downhill in a hurry. All right, but it's the same idea. And so then the whole the rest of our lives, we're struggling with who's in charge. And part of the maturity of faith is we all probably do start out with what can God do for me? What can the church do for me? What can everybody in the world do for me? If you stay there, you're pretty immature. But when you move from there to See not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. That's a great verse in the Bible, by the way. Which now we're talking about at both end, my needs and your needs. Oh, that's a pretty good way to live. And I suspect that one's faith in Jesus can empower that in pretty significant ways. Is it ever that you always get all your needs met? No. That's what heaven's for. Okay? I was talking to somebody yesterday... We were contemplating about the idea that what heaven will be like for women versus what it'll be like for men. I did, we didn't go anywhere with that. I just thought I'd throw that out to you. Another guy. Yeah, we were discussing it. It's a Catholic friend of mine. We were just discussing that. I told him that, that I would let him know because he's going to be going to purgatory first. And so... <laughs> And so I will be waiting in heaven for when he arrives, and then I'll let him know what heaven is like, okay? All right. Okay, well, let's keep on going. We're doing good. Oh, Philip, okay. Oh, by the way, Jane, was it just, is that a new clock, or was that just a new battery? Can we all give Jane a hand for... 
some very high-level problem-solving went into that. Oh, Jerry, too, you both collaborated on that? That was excellent. Yeah, thank you, thank you. And it's actually hanging up there, too. That's a miracle. Yeah, Philip. So I, I don't know if we'll get to the next page, but okay. So we've talked a bit about In March, verse, we will, yeah. We, talk, we talked a bit about verse 65. Yeah. And I'm struggling with it just a little bit, especially since we kind of just skipped over verse 64. No, no, we ignored it is what we did, Philip, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we're, we're on the same page. Okay, yeah, 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 okay. Um, so no one, So Jesus says in 65, no, like, he says these things, uh, that's why he told us, uh, so no one can come to, to me, Jesus, unless it is granted him by the Father. Right. And then 64 in there... Jesus it says, you know, you who do not, there are some among you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who those were who did not believe and those who would betray him. So are we talking about beginning of time? Are we talking about beginning from when he was starting speaking at that instant? Or are we talking about predestination? <laughs> Now you know why I skipped it. Now you know. Huh? No, because I want, it, I want to reference back to it when we get to the last page, which then we'll do next week. So it's like perfect, huh? Actually, I kind of want to do that because I want to spend a longer time on talking about that. The, the issue of the doctrine of election or the doctrine of predestination, I think, is one that is really quite interesting. And it's also one that a lot of people are confused about, okay? So it, can we do that? Is that okay? And that means you have to come back next week. Of course, that's what that means too, okay? I don't, but you do. So the, the, we'll do. All right, so let's see what happens in verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and did what? So what does that suggest about the use of the word disciple with reference to the people that were attracted to Jesus. There were a lot more than those that Jesus drew to himself. When you look at the way that Jesus went about calling his disciples, how did he do it? He went to them, or they were brought to him in some sense by, you know, I think of Peter and Andrew, that sort of thing. But he called them to be his disciples as opposed to they simply attached themselves to him and started following him and walking around with him. And so you do get a little sense of that there's a kind of a, uh, are you familiar with the, uh, with the ranching term of culling the herd? Are you familiar with that? What is that for those of you that don't know what that is? What does culling the herd mean? Get rid of the weak. Yeah, the, I mean, in, in sense of a, the health of a herd, you want the weaker ones or the ones that maybe have some disease or deformity, you want those to not infect the rest of the herd. Now, that's a kind of a gross way to think of this, but Jesus is up in the ante, and he wants to know who's really going to follow him, even if they don't get him, or even if he doesn't provide breakfast every morning of bread and fish. So to some degree, it's a little bit of that sense of, are you really with me, or are you only with me because I'm doing stuff for you? And apparently there were some that thought, this isn't the kind of Messiah I'm looking for. And so what happens is they turn back, 
and they no longer walk with him. So then Peter said to whom? The twelve. See, now there's a distinction between the twelve and the rest. And so then he turns to the twelve and he says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, even though he's thinking to himself, we still don't know half or understand half of what you're talking about. They still what? Trusted. It's very interesting, the Greek here, literally, if you look at the note there uh, in the notes, under we have believed and have come to know, literally it means we have recognized the truth and continue to hold it. And that's a continued action over time. That's what the Greek uh, uh, verb tense is, is that there's a continued action. It's not just we right now hold the truth or we believe the truth and then we hold on to it. It's no matter what, through thick and thin, we will hold on to that truth. There's an endurance to that, right? A commitment and a dedication to that, even though on some level they're going... I don't know how we're going to do this. I hope nobody asks us what he's talking about because we, we can't understand it ourselves. Yeah, Jackie. I kind of see our elders as the disciples. You see our elders, like in our church, our elders? Yeah, it's like... Hmm. <laughs> that's the way I do. I mean, the rest of us are out there. The elders are, you know, you work with the head honcho guy. Yeah, head honcho. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> As many of us do, that's right, yeah. No, that's a good way to think about that, yeah. So maybe you guys ought to think about that. <laughs> By the way, how many of you are elders? How many elders do we have in this group? Yeah, so let that be a lesson to you, huh? Some people are looking at you and saying, you are the example. Oh boy. I know, yeah. Is that what you meant, you are the example? Did you mean that? Well, yeah, it's like... <laughs> Okay, Don't there you put go. words in our mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would you like to say more about that? That's what I'd like to hear more. Oh, yeah, Brian. Well, Peter's using the we word, but I don't know if everybody's probably as strong. It's the royal we, <laughs> right? The we. It, it probably, this happens at home all the time, right? Yeah. We, yeah, we, okay, yeah. I mean, but, but oftentimes Peter was a spokesman, right, for everybody else. Right? And so you sort of get that sense that he's starting to emerge now as the, as the strongest guy. Have you run across those words before? Have you seen those words before? When do, we, when do we repeat those words? In our liturgy. Yeah. After the reading of the epistle, as we get ready for the gospel, that responsive uh, tune that we do. And this is one of the words that we do. Um, uh, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, etc. Okay, very good. All right. All right, so fortunately, our time is just about up, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick it up with verse, uh, the end of verse 70, and then we'll talk about predestination and God's foreknowledge, and was it all like, did, did Judas have a choice, or was he mandated that he would be the one, and then if he's the one, why did Jesus pick him in the first place, and, and so would it be okay if we do that? We talk about that stuff? Okay, good, 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 good. All right, let's uh, close with prayer then. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together and thank you for the way that your word speaks to us. And sometimes, Lord, your word is hard for us to understand. We can totally relate to the people that really struggled with those words. 
At the same time, we're grateful that you have sent the gift of your Holy Spirit through which uh, we can have understanding of the Word. We're, we're grateful for, for people in, in history and in our own church body who have dedicated their lives to help us understand the Word. And then even as we engage in conversation with each other, uh, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to bounce uh, ideas and, and metaphors and analogies and all these kinds of things to try to, to try to understand and then more importantly also then to apply the word to our lives each day. So Lord, don't, don't, don't let us get discouraged with that. Um, help us to continue to strive for that, to aspire to the greater understanding of, of what your word says and the way it speaks to us and then the way it motivates us. Bless us in the coming week, dear Lord, with uh, your presence and the gift of each other. And uh, be with us until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room. Here at Messiah Lutheran Church, our mission statement is sharing his light. That means sharing the light that is Jesus Christ and telling others about his gospel. If you want to join us in that mission, please share this podcast with someone that may want to come and better know the light of Jesus. Use one of our past episodes as a starting point to start a discussion with someone, or use a past series as a personal Bible study or devotional for your family or small group. If we've given any value to you at all, consider leaving this podcast a rating and review on iTunes. That will help us climb the iTunes rankings so we may better spread the reassuring good news of Jesus Christ and continue to share his light with anyone willing to listen. Thank you again so much for listening, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.